0: back and we 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 back uh. <laughs> and
1: we back and we back and hey, this ain't no intro, it's the entree. Hit that intro with con yeah yeah sound like Andre Welcome con into the BSN Buffs you know, Podcast welcome. live Kind of from the Blake Street Tavern, <laughs> been way too long, so it's great to be back with you, Ryan Konigsberg, joined by Ali Monroy and Chase Howell. Uh, great to be talking to you, football. We're almost uh, on the on the eve of the week of the season beginning. <laughs> okay, so wow. There's important times around here. All I know is that it's good to be back on the podcast. It's good to be talking to you, football, once again, and it's good to be in football season in general uh chase you have been up around cu the most out of any of us that's right let us know what's going on give us the rundown of how things are looking for the buffs right now well um there's a lot that's going on obviously
2: because they've had a bunch of practices they're up to like 23 i believe on the day that we're recording this maybe 24 anyway they've been practicing a lot they look good but the biggest thing that I've heard, and you don't get a lot from Mac. is they keep on talking about these freshmen, and there's quite a few good ones. We talked about how good this class was coming into it, and now they're actually performing on the field. The main takeaway is those linebackers, um, John Van Deest in the middle, and then also Nate Landman. They're going to definitely have a chance to play this year, and they're probably going to have to play a lot, especially if somebody goes down there in the middle. And there's also two outside linebackers that are going to have to play a lot, and that's Jacob Outside linebackers, true freshmen, and that's Jacob Collier and Dante Sparaco. They're going to need those guys, and Coach Mack keeps on praising them, keeps on building them up. So that's the hope for them right now.
1: Yeah, you know, the the freshmen are always the most exciting um, because yeah. you don't know what you're going to get from them, especially
0: in any sport, honestly.
1: Right, and especially for us, not being able to necessarily see much from the team, it's always exciting when that first game comes around, and you're seeing. I remember shea fields like catching a screen pass on the very first play of the csu game in his first game as as a freshman it's always exciting to see who's gonna who is going to contribute who's gonna make these plays to me it sounds like katie nixon could be the kind of the the game breaker or the guy who you have in there really making plays for the offense chase what what have you heard about him uh
2: well We just keep on hearing about how many weapons they have at wide receiver and how they're not going to really be able to figure this out um, until a few games into the season. But they have to get the ball into K.D. Nixon's hands. He's too dynamic to not try to put the ball in his hands. And they're going to probably use him at kick returner because this week Coach Mack talked about who he expects to return punts, and that's been the same as last year, which is Isaiah Oliver Jay McIntyre. He didn't mention K.D. Nixon's name in there. He didn't mention Ronnie Blackman. So he's probably going to be returning kicks, but they're going to have to get the ball in his hands on offense, especially wide receiver reverse using him as a scat back. There's a lot of different ways you can get the ball to him.
1: It's crazy to think about the wide receiver depth on this team. Uh, you're talking about a team that not too long ago was starting a wildly inexperienced Nelson Spruce, way, way before he was the Nelson Spruce we know today, and Tyler McCulloch, and neither of them, they were too young. They didn't get. They were not getting separation. This team could not complete a pass down the field to save their lives. Now, you could probably make the argument that they are the best wide receiver core in the entire nation. And if not that, probably... Well, they the certainly believe it, if you them, right? Asked oh, that. they believe it, for <laughs> sure. They, they it. Probably in the top five, but, I mean, just go through it. Shea Fields, uh, Bryce Bobo, who might not even be technically considered a starter. You got Juwan Winfrey, Devin Ross. You have... Uh, you know guys like Jay McIntyre very reliable you have so many players Katie Nixon Lee Walker
2: a senior in KB on Ento who might even be redshirted and we'll probably get to that a little bit later it's it's, just, yeah it's just I'm insane bad.
0: how this it keeps growing I mean coach Cheverini has done an amazing job with this team and when you look at the recruits coming in like you're just like're just like just like how like how, how many wide receivers can see you get?
2: These wide receivers can only get better is the real truth. And Chevrini keeps on bringing in better receivers, better receivers. Even this year they were only supposed to bring in one or two and he ends up bringing in like three or four that you can consider a wide receiver. I see A couple of them might play corner, but still he just keeps on loading up at wide receiver and it's going to pay off on the field even
1: as soon as this year. This offense this year has the chance – to be the best offense at CU that we've seen in a long, long time. I mean, even going back to – I mean, you can go way back. Like, even going back yeah. to 2001, it's a totally different style of football. That that team obviously was so prolific running the ball. Um, you know, they had good wide receivers in, in guys like Derek McCoy. But it, it, it wasn't – it was a different game. But this team, I mean – uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they end up setting the record for points per game from a CU team. In this Pac-12, in this spread offense, they should be able to put up ridiculous amounts of points because you talk about those, those wide receivers, but you also now have a quarterback with, like, an arm of the gods. This guy has an mm-hmm. absolute cannon attached to his shoulder, and I think he's probably going to frustrate some CU fans at times this year with decision-making. But he's also going to make those plays that make you say, wow, and this offense should be off the charts.
0: Do you think his inexperience is going to come in to play?
1: The crazy thing is he's not all that inexperienced. Um, this is a guy who's played in the big house. This is a guy who's played in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, this is a guy who's you know started and won at Autzen Stadium. So it's easy to think inexperience when you're talking about a guy who's really coming into his, his own as a, as a first-time full-time starter but Steven Montez has seen it all now I mean he's been on bigger stages than guys who you know might have started all last season this guy has played at the highest level that you can really play at in college football so again I think his biggest issue is going to be decision making because he he's a gunslinger like he's a guy who believes he can make every throw and that has its highest of highs and it has its lowest of lows it, it could
2: come back to hurt him, but the thing about him is, and Philip Lindsay alluded to this at Media Day a little bit, is that he doesn't have to do too much. His role isn't that big, and it's not as big as even Sefo was last year because he doesn't have to be that leader for the offense. Philip is that already. He doesn't have to gather the boys around and get them going. There's a lot of load off his shoulders in that, and he has so many playmakers around him that really all he has to do is get the ball in their hands and – it's really not that difficult, but
1: yeah. I mean, I, if you listen to this podcast ever, you've heard me say a million times: college football is about quick, easy yards, and this offense does an amazing job of getting them. And that was with Cephalu Falum. Look, everyone who listens to this podcast knows how much and what how much we love Cepho and what we feel about Cepho. But he doesn't have near the arm strength that Stephen Montez has. And in this offense, if you can get the ball out quickly. And get the ball out to the edge; those easy, quick yards go up even more. And Montez has such a quick release and such a, a strong arm that those quick little screen passes and over, you know, to Shea Fields or Devin Ross or those little swings out to Philip Lindsey—they're going to get there that much faster, which opens up the field that much more.
0: I agree with everything you both have been saying, but something that I think was so big in Sefo, like Chase just mentioned, was his leadership, but also the fact that guys went out there and kept playing for Sefo. Like They saw Sefo injured, Sefo was still out there playing. He was just this guy that never quit. And so a lot of the offense played for him. And I'm just wondering how that inexperience with that type of leadership, the way that, I mean, Sefo's just leaving a big hole with that.
2: If Montez didn't have Philip Lindsay. I think you would definitely bring that into the discussion, definitely. but because he's there, I just don't think there's much of a leadership issue, and also with Jeremy Irwin but there, I feel a like sixth your quarterback senior.
0: needs to be one of the main people who has. Right, that but
2: he can role. grow into it. Is kind of the thing.
1: Yeah, they. I mean, they have time here. Obviously, you always want your quarterback to be the guy, but I think Stephen Montez is widely respected in that locker room. They all see the talent there. Mm-hmm. Here's my biggest concern with Steven Montez, and I forget who it was. Chase, maybe you'll know. I think you might have actually retweeted onto my timeline. Someone tweeted the other day about how Steven Montez is an underrated player, uh, could be a breakout player on the scene in college football this year, and mentioned how he could be used in the power run game. Was that you? Did you see that? I don't think so. Well, it was was a national college football (laughs) writer. I don't want to say who it was because I can't remember who it was. But the second I saw a power run game next to Steven Montez's name, I started like like having an anxiety attack on his behalf because <laughs> they, what they did to CeFO and look, Cepho was all on board. Anything yeah. it takes to win, no matter what. They found that QB trap that they love to run on third down, and what ended up happening was they ran their quarterback into the ground, and that's why when, it came, when push came to shove at the end of the season, you kept seeing 13 get banged up. I don't want to see them do that to, to Steven Montez. And I even talked to a source recently who was close to Cepho and, and said the same thing. They shared my, my, uh, my feelings. They said, I really hope they don't do what they did to Cepho, to Steven Montez, because it's one thing what it does to your body. It's another thing. Cepho was a, a beast. I mean, he weighed almost 250 pounds. Steven isn't built like that. And I don't – look, you got to use him in the run game. This is college football don't be running Steven Montez between the tackles all day long. It's just not Definitely. It's not sustainable. It's not smart. And last year you had Steven to fall back on. This year there's a bit more of a drop-off, I think, when you're going from Steven Montez down to Sam Neuer. I, yes, in a way. But the thing about
2: I, what I take from Montez is that over this past offseason he cut a bunch of his weight. He was actually out of shape last year because of his ankle injury. So he's back in shape this year but he's not as big as he was he's not as so I don't know if just by looking at that plan I don't know if they want to use him in the power run game I think the whole point of cutting weight was to get him a little bit faster outside of the pocket but I I don't know I'm and but and then also to your point about the drop-off I think you're going to be surprised at what uh Sam Neuer brings to the table yeah
0: I've heard a lot of great things about Sam Neuer even possibly him stepping up if Steven Montez doesn't end up being what we all expect him to be but I agree that you can't have Steven be running that much like Sefo did because he's young you want you want him for the next two more the next two years you want him good you want him healthy you want him to keep bringing your team up and if you run him down the way Sepho ended up being run down throughout his time there, especially his senior year, then that's not going to be a possibility.
1: The crazy thing about what they were doing with Sefo last year was it wasn't like they ran a fake out of that ever. It's not Mm -hmm. like they ever passed it. When it was third and short, everyone on the field knew exactly what they were doing, And, and to their credit, it worked, and they blocked it amazingly. Bo Bisharat was like the best lead blocker ever on those plays. My question is, if you love that play so much, just put twenty-three back there and direct snap it to him because there was never any threat of them throwing the ball. So snap it to Phil Lindsay and let him run that exact same place or s- exact same play. Uh, s- Chase, I hope you're right that, that that the plan is not to be uh, putting Steven Montez between the tackles because I, I just don't think that would be a good plan.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you there, and I also agree with you on going into a Wildcat if they want to go into a power situation. You could also use Bo Bishra in that situation, or even Michael Atkins. You don't have to use Phil because you want someone that can
1: utilize their their power abilities of going up the middle. Definitely. Let's move on to this defense, which certainly has a lot of question marks, and I think it's it's kind of polarizing. Depending on who you ask, you can get an answer that I think CU's defense is going to be really solid this year, and you can get an answer that I think they're going to take a huge step back the, the obvious uh, thing that can't be disputed is the amount of change they've had. You know, they lost four guys to the NFL draft. They lost...
2: Three coaches.
1: Yeah, they lost their defensive coordinator and their secondary coach. Both well, secondary coaches. Right, yeah. both secondary coaches. There's so much change that I think, first of all, to expect them to uphold the standard of last season is unfair. But, Chase, I'm curious what you think in terms of where they can be. What's, what is a fair expectation for this defense? There's still some question marks there. It's, I mean, it's tough for even me to
2: say. I, I haven't gotten to watch them enough to actually know how good this defense is going to be. From what I've heard, they want to keep it at the level they were last year. I don't think there's that they that they will be able to do that, but there's also a lot of pressure off of them with how good this offense is going to be. So... They need to play well enough for their offense to win the game for them, and I don't think that's going to be that hard.
1: Allie, what do you think?
0: I don't know. I mean, for me, it's really the relationship Jim Levitt had with his players. He just had this intensity, and the players loved it. I mean, money gang, like all of it. Like Darren Darren Cheverini with the wide receivers, he just had this great relationship with them, and that's hard when you lose that. And now, with DJ Elliott, from what McIntyre said at Media Day yesterday, he said the guys, the players have really responded. They responded to him and they like him and they're doing well with him. But I I don't think, I'm not sure. We'll have to see how that all goes down. The the word
2: he used was rapport. Sorry, I thought about it because I had to look it up on the internet to figure out how to spell it while he said it. R A P P O R T. (laughs) I thought it was something way different than (laughs) that.
0: But I don't know, I'm I think it all just depends. They I think they'll for sure take a step back. But I don't know, you have you have this like need to want to be amazing. I mean this this defense has a lot on their plate and a lot of people are saying they aren't gonna be able to do it. So you have that motivation to kind of be like, Well, watch us. Like we are the new money gang, as Foe and Isaiah Oliver have said multiple times.
1: False. I actually take a lot of issue <laughs> with that. Why does there this need to, like, keep nicknames going? Those guys all the, – the point of the money gang was that they were going to go to the NFL and make money, and all of those guys did. So now you, just have, you have to start from square <laughs> one. Like, you can't be the money gang anymore. You have to come up with something else. I've heard that they
2: don't uh, let the freshmen u- use it until they actually do something on the f- – uh. until they actually do something on the field. Um, that, that's the rumor floating around. Like, I heard that Chris Miller, I, I believe it was Chris Miller, but I don't even want to name drop it. He was wearing a Money Gang hoodie around, and one of the DBs told him to take it off. <laughs> so I think it's going around the team that, hey, you got to earn the respect to that name.
1: The Broncos do the same thing. And actually, last year, they were all wearing these no fly zone tights in practice, and Kayvon Webster was one of the guys that had them. And I was like, oh, that's kind of questionable. So I asked who got them for him, and they said, Demarius Thomas bought them for the no-fly zone. So if Demarius Thomas like crowns you as part of it, I think that's fair. Like You're talking about a, a, a uh, serious wide receiver there. So maybe they need to ask the, the Shea Fields and the Bryce Bobos of the world yeah. <laughs> who deserves to be wearing the Money Gang sweatshirt. And if you ask me, no one. They, those need to be sent... Okay, Isaiah Not Oliver. Not even Isaiah, Isaiah Oliver. Al- I just gave Ryan a
0: look like, are you kidding me? Oliver for sure I just think
1: Isaiah Oliver should come up with a new a new name like the for cash himself. corners <laughs> yeah it's not going to get better than the money gang maybe know, that's the
2: what they thought gang. of the
1: money gang really
2: isn't that good but Blackout
0: the whole point of right, it like the whole once these seniors head out?
2: yeah I don't well the whole idea of the money gang I really like but that's because of the players that were there last year that went to the NFL and made money so it's hard to and Isaiah Oliver days. is
1: going to make a lot of money. And we talked to Akello Witherspoon, yeah. Allie and I, when we were out in San Francisco during the Broncos' joint practices with the 49ers. And he and Akella uh, said something very interesting, which was that uh, he thought Isaiah Oliver is going to be making money next year, meaning that he would forego his senior season uh, to go to the NFL.
0: He said that and then was like, oh, oh, oh or maybe the year after that. But he did say... He'll be making money
2: next year. It's definitely a possibility. I, mean, I agree. Coach McIntyre talked this week. Uh, I used the quote as a headline that he that Isaiah Oliver was the number one corner last year. That he was the guy that what they was told. The that? Sh-
1: I I don't. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe he just folded. I don't know. I'm but sorry. He I think Isaiah said Oliver it. is great, and I think he profiles really well to be an NFL corner. Mm-hmm. But if you give me a choice between Cheeto and Isaiah Oliver uh-huh. on my football yeah. team as my number one guy, I'll choose Cheeto ten times I out of ten. Th-
2: I think what he meant by it was that he was guarding the number one receiver. Like, he was told to cover the number one receiver um, because of his size and speed, and you put Cheeto in the slot. But it probably depends on the wide receiver as well, and they had three really good corners, so I don't think you can really claim him as number one. But it is interesting that Coach Mack would even say that.
1: Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. I mean, I guess – you're just pumping up your guy which seems fair to me uh let's get to a quick break and on the other side we'll come back and discuss what we think some of the biggest weaknesses for this team will be come to the spring valley golf club and play two courses in one offering nine holes link style nine holes traditional tree line you're gonna love the newly renovated
2: greenside bunkers with a european twist they've got stacked bunker walls So come on down and try the fast and true greens that this 18-hole championship golf course delivers. Or get lessons from our PGA professional golfers and then eat at our award-winning restaurant. Spring Valley Golf Club is in Elizabeth, just a few miles from Parker, but less than 45 minutes from downtown Denver. Just off the beaten path, but
1: closer than you think. Book your tee time today at springvalleygolfclub.com. Coming back on the BSN Buffs podcast, Ryan Konigsberg joined by Ali Monroy and Chase Howell, and we kind of got into the fact that the defense is a bit of a question mark. We don't know what the impact of all the losses they've had on that side of the ball will be. We didn't necessarily get into the exact positions. Chase, I want to hear from you what you think are kind of the biggest question marks, and it doesn't have to be on the defense if you have some question marks on offense, but what are the biggest question marks on this team going into 2017?
2: I think it's most definitely on the defense. Um,
1: I think it's going to be linebackers, and
2: it's the it's the depth at linebacker, um, both outside linebacker and inside linebacker. With N.J. Fowlow being dismissed earlier this year, they really have a hole at outside linebacker. It looks like Taryn Hasselback and Michael Matthews are battling out there, but they don't have that much depth, and they might have to rely on a true freshman there. And it's the same exact situation at inside linebacker where all they really have is a Rick Gamboa and Drew Lewis, and then once you go after that, it's either redshirt freshman Akil Jones or the two true freshmen in Van Deese and Landman, and there's just not that much depth, because if Rick Gamboa or Drew Lewis go down, which Rick Gamboa has been dealing with some issues already, they have to rely on a true freshman at
1: inside linebacker, and that could be very difficult for them. We saw that we've seen that happen before uh, with this team. I remember... There was a an Arizona game two years ago where they had to pull a red shirt on Grant Watanabe to get a linebacker out there, uh, and it didn't turn out well for them. They ended up uh, losing that game based on a couple missed assignments from the linebacking core, if I remember correctly. So there are, there are a lot of question marks, and I remember sitting here at this exact same table talking about the Buffs a year ago, and we kept being like, well, if everything goes right for them, then, you know, they could be fine. And then everything did go right for them, and they were fine. <laughs> it's really hard to ask two years in a row, like, okay, well, if everything goes right for you, you know, and and both of those inside linebackers stay h- healthy, and, you know, guys like Ryan Moeller stay healthy, and you go on down the line. Isaiah Oliver, could you imagine is if it, he Yeah, I healthy? mean, we'll get into a little bit more about the issues with depth at corner in a second here, but... You're asking too much. And I, I feel like the more you ask for health, the more dangerous it becomes and the, the scarier it is because, like you said, if they lose Isaiah Oliver, you know, knock on wood if you're a Buffs fan right now, if they lose Isaiah Oliver, you're talking about just like going back to the same issues you had not too long ago about not having really anyone you can rely on at corner. And you're talking about a Pac-12 conference that can throw the ball. Um, you know Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, like all these guys, in your in your division, can chuck it around. If you don't have corners that can stop them, you're in trouble.
2: Yeah. Uh, hopefully, Coach McIntyre is knocking on wood because that's about all he can do right now is hope that th- these guys on defense stay healthy because there's so many question marks back there.
1: Yeah, and it goes across the board there. And you just hope for them that it doesn't mm-hmm. happen where you get all these injuries. Luckily, when we go back to the strengths of this team, the offense is in a position where they can battle. Because, you know, as we were talking about that corner depth just now, I had flashbacks to D.D. Goodson trying to cover wide, wide receivers against USC in a freezing cold game when he had never played corner in his life. He got thrown there the week of the game, and it didn't turn out well. It's actually at that point, but the difference is, I mean, no, it's not actually at that point. It's not even close to that point. But it's, it's in a scary position in terms of depth at that position. At that position, but you have the offense where if your defense is in trouble and they're giving up a lot of points, you should be able to answer. And that's the difference between a good football team and a really bad football team.
0: But, but then there's also the saying that defense wins championships, and so mm, not in the Pac-12. Okay. Well, elsewhere it
1: I does. Guess. I mean, it does. You saw how far the defense carried the buffs yeah, last year. Yeah, the so defense did
0: carry the buffs, especially when the offense was struggling. And I think the offense can be amazing this year, but they're gonna they're gonna have to fall back on their defense sometimes, and that's that's huge. Defense. You need the defense to be good. You need these freshmen. You need everyone on the defense to step up and be at the same level as the offense. Because last year, a lot of times, I saw. The offense struggled, and then the defense would kill it. And then the defense would struggle the next game, and the offense would kill it. And there was never consistency. And I know that's hard to ask for, especially with losing so many players on the defensive side. But for me, for them to really make it to not even just like make it past Pac-12 championship, you know, like for those like fans who are out there, like buffs are going to kill it, absolutely destroy it. Like you need an amazing defense for that to happen.
1: Here's what I think you should ask for from the defense this, this year and that is being opportunistic. I don't think they're going to be the stout buffs of last year that you know you can't run the ball against them you can't really throw the ball against them you got your hands tied. They're going to give up yards they're going to give up plenty of yards in that, and that's going to start in the first game against CSU who should have a pretty solid offense coming in here. You need them to make the most of opportunities to take advantage of mistakes you need them to make interceptions you need them to cause fumbles you need them to be going after strips every time the guy is going down in college football especially in the Pac-12 and I really do expect this to be a a more classic Pac-12 season where teams are putting up ridiculous numbers a turnover is so valuable you get in these games when teams are just driving down the field and and scoring touchdowns if you can get a turnover it's like. Chase, you watch more tennis than I, so you might be able to help me here. What's it called? It's like a, a it's like a set break where you can, you yeah. know, you can you can win when you're on defense essentially. If you can get a turnover, that stops that that flips everything and you could go score, turnover, score and that that changes an entire game. You know, score, stop, score, that's a kill. That's that changes everything. Which is kind of why, what makes it
2: such a big question mark is we really have no idea whether this defense is going to be able to force turnovers or not. There's no one that's returning that has really proven that
1: before. Yeah, and it's – turnovers are, are – there's luck involved. Yeah. You can't predict. You can't yeah. sit there and say this defense is going to definitely create turnovers. I mean, maybe if you're talking about like the Broncos defense with the no-fly zone, sure, they're going to get a lot of interceptions. But on any given season – It's really hard to, you know, put it on paper. There's going to be a lot of turnovers, but you need guys like Derek McCartney creating strip sacks and go on down the line. If they can be opportunistic, I think that's a fair expectation. Have a really solid uh, turnover ratio. Like, if they can make that happen, then I think this team, their ceiling goes dramatically up.
0: I think we're going to just be able to see a lot of this and have a lot of our questions answered after the CSU game.
1: Well, we talked a little bit about that cornerback depth, and there's a reason why it's so bad, Uh, and that has to do with the indefinite future of sophomore corner Anthony Julmese, who was suspended
2: indefinitely, like RK just said, the days before camp opened up and then was just recently in the news a couple days ago on another arrest in a whole different case um, regarding a car accident.
0: Yeah, well, his first charge was a domestic violence charge. I think it was multiple counts. And he, basically what it seemed like the story was at first was he tried to push a girl down the stairs. um, But then it came out that she said that she had persisted him and kind of made him get in that position. So there was a lot of question marks on that case. But from what McIntyre said, they had suspended him from the team. And then the second case just happened... Um, this weekend where he would gotten in a car accident and he had rear-ended someone. And then uh, they both had gotten out of the car to check at the damages and the other car had had significant damages. And that person had taken pictures of the damages and uh, Julemise ended up trying to steal his phone.
1: Well, first, apparently, he tried to pay him off.
0: Oh, tried to pay him off. $20 at first. That didn't work, so he moved up to 40 And And... Uh, Then he tried to steal his phone to get out of it and then drove down the road and threw it in the street. So he's being charged with robbery, first-degree, criminal trespassing of a vehicle, criminal mischief, and careless driving.
1: This is an unfortunate situation um, because the crazy thing is not too long ago, I was talking to someone with knowledge of the program, very good knowledge of the program. And they believed that Joel or Joel Meese I, I believe that's the pronunciation, Joel Mies was on track to become a leader of this team. Um, they thought they thought by the senior year he was going to be a captain of this team. Everyone in this program thought of of Anthony Joel Meese as uh, an exemplary student athlete. And for him to kind of I don't know if the words go off the rails here, but the first incident, while it's unacceptable in college football, from a coaching standpoint, you can kind of get away with saying a player deserves a second chance. Um, you know, he's never been in trouble before. We want we want to give a player a second chance. We're not going to, you know, kick him off the team because he made a mistake. We're gonna we're gonna try and help him learn from this mistake and become a better man because of it. With a second issue, before the first one even is close to being settled the court date on that is september 1st the same day as the rocky mountain showdown with that not even settled to get in trouble again and and do some shady stuff like this is clearly to me there was something else going on there it wasn't just oh i rear-ended someone like there was something else going on there it was a shady situation and and now you've put, put coach mcintyre in a position where It looks bad on him if he lets you come back onto this football team.
0: Well, with the first case, I think you could ask for that second chance. McIntyre could try and convince the media that, you know, like you were saying. But another reason for that was the case was so up in the air. The victim who had pressed charges was then taking charges back but then was saying that no. And then there's just a lot of confusion with that case. And so I think with that case, there was a possibility – of course no matter what it ended up being it could have given him definitely a second chance on coming back but now for sure the way some of the articles have been explained trying to pay off the driver then stealing his phone and just throwing it down the road just these these decisions weren't very smart
1: yeah I mean that's indefensible no one can try and say that anything was done there was smart and if this was just a normal fender bender There would have been no backlash. That would have been – it wouldn't have even been a story. Yeah, we wouldn't have even found out about it, Exactly. (laughs) So, like I said, now you've put Coach McIntyre in a position where, especially with some of the stuff that's gone on around CU in the past year or so, he kind of has to put his foot down and, uh, you know, show that this type of stuff is not acceptable in his program. And that's unfortunate because, again, you know, if it was just about football, you, uh, Anthony Jewelmeese was probably going to be your second corner. And, it, and if he wasn't, he was at least...
2: He, he was like, going to be the second corner.
1: And then he would have been, you know, and then you would have had Trey Udofia as acceptable depth behind him. Now you're in trouble. Now now you're relying on Trey Udofia. But what you have to do here is
2: um, Coach McIntyre would have liked to show that Jewelmeese had learned from his mistake, from his first domestic violence mistake And now it's impossible to do that. And there's literally no way that Coach McIntyre could bring this guy back without any repercussions.
0: I agree, especially with all the heat Mike McIntyre has had.
2: I think there – he
0: he really can't allow that. And like you said, I mean, he also told media that he hasn't even had a chance to speak with Anthony Julemis, that the school is the one that's handling that situation and that he's figuring out – what to do from there, and it seems like he's very much kind of on eggshells with those kind of cases after what happened a few months ago.
1: To be honest, that was a bit of a concerning comment from for me, hearing that Coach McIntyre hasn't spoken with him. Because this is a guy who talks about being a father figure to players, talks about how you know parents trust him uh, with their players. You would think that if a player got in trouble like that, the first thing – you would want to do is talk to them and find out their side of the story and be there for them. I mean, above all, this has got to be a really hard time in Anthony Julmese's life. He has just probably squandered an amazing opportunity. Uh, You know, he could end up losing his scholarship to college. This is probably some of the lowest moments of his life that he's going through right now. And I feel like as a head coach, you have a duty to those players beyond the football field. To, to be there to console them, to be there to talk to them, to be there to help them learn from this sort of thing. Uh, and, and I don't know what the situation is with Mike McIntyre and why he hasn't or why maybe he can't or whatever the situation is, why he hasn't been able to speak with Anthony Jolmeese. But that, that was just – that perked my ears when I heard that because I was like, that doesn't exactly fit. For, for Jolmeese, I think the best-case scenario for him probably is a year suspension. From the team, and then they can come back. That's kind of the uh, the go-to move in college football when a player is really talented, and you want to keep him around. A year's suspension—that's a—that's a heavy penalty. Uh, and A year from now, people will probably have kind of let this stuff sort of go. So, for him, you know, you hope no matter the situation, that he's able to get his life back on the right track because the path. And that's two issues involving violence. That's a that's a path that y- is scary for, for a young individual.
0: It's scary for a young individual, and it's also, like we said, surprising. So many people only had good things to say about Anthony Julemese. He was a stand-up guy. He was a leader in the program, like you were saying, Ryan. Like, people were saying that he was someone people could look up to, and how like it's just so confusing, you know, stuff happens in life, and... How you can kind of go off the rails, like you said after that. But I agree. I think with everything McIntyre says about being an uncommon man and teaching these kids these kids, these players um, about living their life, it is surprising that he hasn't been able to talk to them. But I think, I think it may be because of legal reasons, and mm-hmm. he's just trying to watch his back after everything that just happened.
1: Maybe I, I honestly don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily think there's anything legally stopping you from talking to anyone, but. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't want to make any you know, accusations of coach McIntyre in terms of how he's handling this. Got to let you know, as always, we are coming to you from the Blake street tavern, our favorite place. I mean, I, I miss doing this podcast, but I also got, I, I wasn't able to make it to what I refer to as the Mecca here at Blake street tavern during the hiatus away from the podcast. So it's great to be back here. Uh, amazing deals, um, I mean, we're, we're not that far away from the Rocky Mountain Showdown. If you don't have a ticket to the game and you're trying to get down in Denver and be a part of the festivities and get, in, get some partying in, go tailgate with your buddies, shoot over the Blake Street Tavern. It's going to be packed. There's always, they're always singing the fight song. They, they literally, when the game goes to commercial, turn the sound down and play the fight song in here.
0: Just over and over and over again. This is definitely the place to be if you aren't able to go to the Rocky Mountain Showdown.
1: So get out to the Blake Street Tavern right here, uh, right near Coors Field. And if you're you're going to a Rockies game, make sure you get over here as well. Final segment here, guys. Got to talk a little bit of basketball. Mm -hmm. I know it's football season, and and I'm as excited as anyone about that. But the basketball team actually played games.
2: actual game action we can talk about.
1: we got to learn a little something-something about what this team might look like this year.
2: Exactly right. And there are definitely some bright spots with this team. Um, the idea with this team is that they're going to have a lot of new faces and they're going to have new faces that are going to be scoring the ball a lot and playing a lot for this team. And what we got to see in Italy, or not see unless you got to watch a couple of the streams, I think they stream like one or two games, but from looking at the box scores and stuff is that McKinley Wright is going to be a stud.
1: We've been driving the, the Wright hype train on this podcast um, from – Allie and I actually got to got check him out in a scrimmage. Um, we've heard amazing things from everyone involved with the program. Marcus Hall. We witnessed Hall, amazing yeah, things. Yeah, we witnessed a, a dunk that I'll oh probably never God. see a better dunk in my life. I wouldn't be surprised if I don't. A tip dunk uh, on a very notable player uh, where McKinley Wright, who is not a large human, no. was way above the rim. So there's that. Uh, Marcus Hall, obviously a CU great He is sky high on McKinley Wright, thinks he's going to be an absolute star. They think uh, he has NBA potential. His size might have something to say about that. But this is a kid who is going to be an absolute fan favorite with the Buffs.
2: Yeah, Tad is very honest with the media, so I trust it when he says it. And his quote on McKinley Wright, though, is really nothing better. That his first few words was "He's a baller," which kind of describes McKinley great, but he also I love said Tad like he's got Twitter now. He's <laughs> calling people ballers. Uh, yeah, he's, he's Twitter, woke he's Tad. Actually, tweeting a lot lately. Wasn't there a thing woke Tad not too long ago?
1: I don't know. <laughs> well,
2: woke, I'm bringing woke Tad back because we woke have Mac. we have we have woke Tad here. Oh, he wow. has a Twitter. He's calling people a baller. I like Vogue Tad.
1: What was uh, McKinley Wright's stats out there in Italy? Um, He he had a few big
2: games, a few not-so-good games. He ended up averaging 11.3 points per game, which is pretty solid. Um, All of them were sharing minutes, basically, so none of them played that much. I know McKinley Wright had one game where he played, like, 31 minutes, and the next closest was, like, 24 or something like that. So, uh, Coach, obviously, Tad wants to get a good look at this kid, and he's been showing out.
1: It's great to see. And for the first time in a while, maybe going all the way back to the Josh Scott class, and that was four, four or five years ago, five years ago now, you've got a team that we're talking about developing. Like, these are people that you're going to grow. Like, as a fan, you're going to see them grow. And this, this whole team is going to be centered around this class in a few years. And it's a really, really exciting class, uh, like Tyler Bay.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: He's another one. (laughs) I mean,
1: Evan Batty, like, he's going to be a fan favorite. I guarantee it. And then
2: Deshaun Schwartz. There's four really
1: good. Deshaun Schwartz, Colorado kid. Yeah. Natural, natural score. This is fun. And I don't want to say that they're not going to, you know, win very many games or anything this season. I will say it's going to be a developmental year for them, but those years can be really exciting too. And last season wasn't as much fun, I think, watching Buffs basketball as everyone wanted it to be. This season, I think, regardless of record or what happens at the end of the season, it's going to be really fun to watch Colorado basketball again.
2: The difference between last year and what this upcoming year is, was last year you saw a disappointing team, a team that had four seniors, a couple of uh, fifth-year, sixth-year seniors. Four or five-year. Four fifth-year seniors. Yeah, four fifth-year seniors. Like, you expected a lot out of that team, and they ended up disappointing you're going to get the flip side this next year where the future is very bright whether they win or not and you're not going to be left disappointed.
0: Honestly what I'm most excited for is to hear how vocal these freshmen are and see the leadership because you we really didn't get to see much of that last year and this year just from what we've seen we went to one scrimmage and got to see they're just so vocal they're screaming they're encouraging each other they're they're just doing everything there's just so much leadership and there's so much excitement and that makes it exciting to watch and gets anyone pumped
1: yeah it's going to be exciting um these guys are going to develop and hey you still have a guy like george king out there you have a transfer in Mm -hmm. name and right you know you have tory miller who you know hopefully can turn a corner in terms of his development there's still players on this team that are highly regarded as upperclassmen so you never know with a team like this um it's all about getting everyone to follow in the right direction and with the way that these freshmen were acting and from what we've heard they all seem like they are all in on the common goal of winning um you know they're not the the type of players who you're worried about getting caught up in the hype or anything like that to me everything I've heard everything I've seen it sounds like these guys not only have the talent but they have the mindset that you need to be successful at this level because it's really easy to get caught up. It's really easy to start reading your press clippings to start, you know, uh, feeling like you're the big man on campus to start dabbling in the partying. It's really, I mean, if I was a college athlete, that's what I'd be doing. So I don't blame anyone for doing that. But the, the difference between good and great in college sports is the people, the players who are willing to put a lot of that stuff aside in order to chase a common goal.
2: Which is, I mean, we, we kind of saw that last year with Bryce Peters. We saw all the talent that he had, but he kind of wasted it away. And that was kind of the whole, not theme of the program last year, but th- there wasn't that, hey, I care. but They weren't coming into the building caring about winning every day is what it seemed like to us. And I you think- had
1: fifth-year seniors getting suspended for games. Yeah. And I think that that's what it boils down to. Yep. The last person who should ever be suspended – on a basketball team, or on any sports team, are the, the, the most senior veterans. Like, if that's happening, you know you have an issue. And then we saw them,
2: when they were suspended, laughing when they were losing, and big deal was made of that. Like, this, these freshmen are bringing a new life to this program, and they're going to have a different look to them because of it.
1: It's going to be really exciting. Um, but it wouldn't be the BSN Sefo Lufo po- <laughs> Sefo podcast. I know we got a little mention in from earlier. Sefo, he's been getting some serious airtime on Hard Knocks.
0: Oh, yeah, TV action. He, we even got to see him sing. If you haven't watched Hard Knocks and you want to hear Sefo Lufow, try and sing, please go YouTube it.
1: He did all right. Like He was solid. Uh, yeah. I, kinda, I felt really bad for him in the last episode, uh, or in the second episode, I should say. He was, like, asking Jameis. Like, he had no idea about the NFL roster rules. He's like, wait, you can make the 53-man <laughs> oh, roster yeah. and then get cut? And Jameis is like, bro, you can get cut any day, anytime, no matter what. Like, so.
2: Jameis is the best, though. Jameis. looks like he's really taken a liking into Seppo. And he's kind of – the way he says Seppo is awesome. Seppo! Seppo!
0: <laughs> well, I think something that he probably likes about Seppo is how dedicated Seppo is. When you see him on the show – he is almost always looking at his playbook just trying to study he's always there in the corner like you can tell he's asking questions he's just that type of guy that will study his heart out and try and know everything he can and I think someone like Jameis Winston would really really appreciate that type of quarterback
1: most certainly and I, I don't know if it's going to work out for cepho in terms of making the ro- he's not going to make the roster the best case scenario for him would probably be making the practice squad maybe he'll get a chance somewhere else uh but I think you know the the experience he's gotten just being able to be in a training camp in it in a mini camp and OTAs and, and that sort of thing with an NFL team uh is invaluable in life in general and and learning lessons from a leader of the caliber that Jameis Winston is all of that stuff um, no matter what happens for the rest of in his career I think is an amazing experience. And,
2: and even Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, he gets to learn behind two really good NFL. Court. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been in the league for a long time, and in the league for a reason. And he, he's a genius. Yes, he's. I think he's a great guy to get to learn behind. So he's
0: getting a lot of experience that, like you said, is completely invaluable. And he gets to be on TV. Yeah, <laughs> and it's
2: funny we get to learn about his goats, his girlfriend's goats. It was oh, so yeah, funny last episode, night. Yeah. You guys, yeah, you guys have to watch that. It's <laughs> so funny.
1: Well, it's good to see Cepho. It's good to be back on the BSN Buffs podcast, football and is back. we are so close. The next time you hear from us, we'll be previewing the Rocky Mountain Showdown. And I know a lot of CU fans hate it. To me, it's it's my favorite thing of the year because one, it's football is back. Two, it's it's the only rivalry the Buffs have left. And three, it's just it, nothing. The the fans it does nothing quite gets the hype like this game. So. I cannot wait to sit down here next week and talk about that football game and then, of course, go and watch the Buffs take the field once again, the gold helmets, all, Ralphie, like all of that stuff. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. So thanks to you all for listening, and we will talk to you next week on the BSN Buffs podcast.